the general perception here in America is that the sport's a crazy game, it's dangerous, there are no pads being worn, it's very rough. And people, you know, are adverse to giving their kids a chance to play that. But once they see, actually, because you're not wearing pads, you never leave with your head and it's actually yeah. technically safer, that is a game changer. You're listening to the Match Kit Cast with me, Ben Karpinski, bringing you closer to the athletes on the matchkit.co platform. In this week's edition of the Match Kit Cast, we have a very interesting rugby personality. And I say rugby personality, and I do like that phrase, although it does get used a whole bunch nowadays for various points. But in Dallas, Stanford, you do not get a better rugby personality. Born in SA, went to America. He was on the Sevens World Circuits, um, obviously in an American jersey, not an SA one. But what he did after that was quite interesting. He then got into the world of broadcasting. He took his passion for the game and his knowledge for the game. And he's now one of the most recognizable voices in the game of rugby. Not just talking for the Sevens, on the 15-man game as well. He's hugely traveled. He is a guy with many, many great stories. And for our listening pleasure, he is here right here today. Dallin, thanks so much for joining us. Ben, thanks so much for having me on Match Kit. It's, uh, it's brilliant to talk all things rugby. It's been a while with, uh, with COVID going on, so no games to commentate, so I'm ready to rumble. Yeah, so Dallin, I always get quite nervous introducing someone like you because when I'm talking, I'm hearing your voice and I see your picture because, I mean, you've, you've become synonymous with the Sevens game for me. As, and, and what I love is that you bring a lot of personality and you bring a lot of color. So then I did a bit of research about, it, about you, a bit of extra research. You went to Ronda Bosch Boys High which I won't hold against you. Um, and then, you, and then you, you, you were very much a, a guy that seemed to get the most out of your Ike's experience playing for you know, the, the fabled UCT rugby team. Where did, the, your, where did your passion for rugby start? I mean, were you like really small or was it like age group rugby at Ronnebosch? You know, was it a family member? How did you get into the game that you love so much? Yeah, Ben, that's a, that's a great, great question. I, uh, I actually think, had to think about that the other day. And when I was about, nine years old, my grandfather gave me a VHS tape when I would go and visit them. They lived in the Orange Free State back then, it was called that. And I'd watch a video he had, it was called 101 Triline Tales. And in it, there were amazing commentators uh, from the UK, the Scottish accents were my favorite. Mm-hmm. And I would watch this video, this VHS over and over again, till they developed lines on the side, you know, from, from Frank. <laughs> and I could, I could recite I could see it, the, the, the video, the try, and I could recite what the commentators had said. So I suppose going back, that kind of was where I, I really started to get into it. And then, you know, moving uh, uh, to Rondebosch from, from Dale Junior School, I, I really enjoyed playing rugby. And the element was so fun about it because you got to play a game with your friends. Mm. You got to, you know, tackle anybody you wanted. Well, well, well they had the ball, of course. And uh, it, just, it just, for me, was absolutely sensational. And then, you know, going through to UCT, that element of the game, it was so fun on the field, but what they brought was the chemistry off the field. You know, unbelievable, uh, legendary nights out. One even led, uh, led to tackling Nick Mallet at a, at a rugby event, um, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was it was quite a golden era for you for, again you know it's like trying to get back into the history of of why you're such an incredible rugby in, individual is that you were one of the guys who was kind of the catalyst in uct becoming a, a good rugby school so to speak you know you obviously you guys took it took it to marty's which back in those days wasn't easy so i mean it, it was obviously a, quite a golden period and then what sort of made you go from there to America? Was it always a plan that after your sort of um, varsity days, you were always going to go abroad or was it something else within rugby that took you over there? Yeah. So when I finished at Ronnebosch high school, I took a year out and went to England for a year. The goal there was to experience a new culture, experience something different. 
and, and I got involved at a school that had rugby as well. So I could coach, I uh, played a little bit also. So when I finished at UCT, I thought, let me do the same thing, but let me try go somewhere I've never ever been before. And the US was always on my list, but I never really had a, a proper reason to go there. And so there was a South African friend that went to UCT that ended up in California. He was friends with this another South African guy who randomly went to Ronda Bosch 10 years ahead of me or 20 years ahead of me. And he was a coach of this team in California. So I took a chance and went there for six months to play rugby. And the weird thing is I thought that was it. I was going to be in America for six months and come back to South Africa and then, you know, work in some rugby related job if I could. And, um, you know, I knew I wasn't going to play for the Springboks or the Blitzbox. And so that was kind of my, my initial trajectory and things, as you can see, have changed uh, for the best. Well, it must have been both stimulating and rewarding. So it's obviously like, you know, give up the, the high life in Cape Town of tackling ex-rugby legends like Nick Mallett and, and drinking with your mates. Something must have been quite like really, really grabbed you in America. What, what, what were your sort of first impressions with the game? You know, we, we all know that it's not a huge sport in America. And as much as that there's certain sort of like pockets that are making great strides, what were your sort of first impressions of the sport in that new country? You know, I didn't know much about American rugby, to be fair. I'd seen, I'd seen the Eagles play in, in some of the World Cups. And, you know, there were a lot of foreign players on their side, foreign-born players. And so there weren't that many American legends that, that everybody knew at the time. But when I came to California, I was very, very impressed with the standard of the game. Um, you know, most folks, if I'd asked my friends back then, they, they didn't know there was much rugby at all. And so playing, playing here in the summer, the sevens, is what really invigorated my career. In South Africa, Sevens was my favorite game, but I only got a chance to play that once a year. So the Ikees, we would play one tournament a year and it was just great fun. And outside of that, touch rugby was probably my favorite thing to do on a Sunday with my mates. We'd play at Bishops, the fields, or at Ronnebosch, one of their 30 fields. And that was really cool. So Sevens for me was like that again. But in the US, they had it structured where for three months you played every weekend. So we were going to places like San Diego, Santa Barbara, Las Vegas. We were going all over playing Sevens with a bunch of your friends who you would you know, go out and have great times off the field as well. So that really captured my imagination. And I knew at that point, you know, if I could do more sevens, you know, my hand was up. And that actually led me, our team did so well um, that we went, up, went and played in the national tournament, which is the top 16 teams in the country. Now, again, I didn't know who we were playing against. We apparently were playing against, you know, current Eagle sevens guys in the series. We were just playing for fun. We ended up coming fifth in the tournament and lost one game in the, in the quarters. And through that, I got a, a call from the US sevens coach who I politely declined. And I said, well, I'm actually South African. So, you know, I'm not eligible. And he said, well, no, hold on. You haven't played for South Africa. You're, you, you recently um, got married to an American, your American wife. So you're technically eligible for the Sevens World Series. It sounds like there was a bit of an ulterior motive there. Or was that just true love? Or did you really want to play for America? Well, our 15 year wedding anniversary is coming up uh, in a couple of weeks time. So that, uh, that, that there's your answer. But yes, now I will, I will say, Ben, that a lot of my friends were like, wow, you, you are getting married quite soon. And, and the story behind that, <laughs> the story, the story behind that is that I had met her actually at a South African uh, bar in Los Angeles called the Springbok Bar and Grill. And I was, uh, I'd come back to America my second season playing and the rugby club had got me a year and a half visa and that visa was going to expire, but we knew we were in it for the, for, for the long run together. And so from that point of view, we said, okay, well, we can't get married down the line, but if I go back to South Africa, maybe I can't get back in. And mm. so we did get married a bit, bit earlier than we would have hoped, but in the end, obviously it turned out to be, be the right decision. 
<laughs> no, sure. I was pulling your leg. <laughs> so in, in, in America itself, like, you know, where, where are people first exposed to the sport? Like, are there many sort of high schools um, that kind of offer it? Or is it very much at certain universities and certain regions of the country where it is a big thing? Yes, it, it, it's a hot. There, there are hotbeds in California and and the 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 northeast, the east coast, is where you know most of the Ivy League schools play rugby. It it's played in almost a thousand universities and colleges. The youth game is the one I think that is expanding at a tremendous rate. The last ten years, it is phenomenal. You just you you go into small little pockets of America and you see a bunch of volunteers generally that have been exposed to the game. Some are Americans, some are foreigners who just want to have their kids to play something that they grew up with people are soon finding out the, the, the values of the game and, and it can be a safe sport. Cause I think Ben, the general perception here in America is that the sports a crazy game. It's dangerous. There are no pads being worn. It's very rough and people, you know, are adverse to giving their kids a chance to play that. But once they see actually, because you're not wearing pads, you never lead with your head and it's actually yeah. technically safer. That is a game changer. Now, again, the average American doesn't know much about rugby. I'll give it that, but come the Olympic games, the U.S. didn't do very well for the men and the women last time, but this time, you know, in 2021, if they're able to medal, the uh, American fans love the Olympic Games, and that will really put rugby on the map uh, properly here in the U.S. Yeah, for sure. And I think you know, the sevens game has done so well. I mean, obviously, we know Las Vegas, um, you know, there's a big annual kind of thing that people do look forward to with the whole seven circuit. What are the other kind of things that you believe that America are currently working on or should really work on that maybe can address, you know, sort of like broaden the game? You know, is it about getting more people involved or is it about just doing more with the current structures they currently have? So that's a good question. It's a complicated one. The governing body, I would say, is, is fairly overloaded with what their goals are. And the country is so large and diverse. The weird thing is like, you know, you could be playing touch rugby on the beach in California while it is snowing, you know, in the Northeast and people sure. are indoors and not able to train. So those kind of things are always complicated from a structural point of view. But I think the, the tipping point is still coming and it's Major League Rugby having professional rugby now for its fourth season coming up next year being on CBS Sports Network, being on ESPN and Fox Sports 2, that exposes people to the game. There's a lot more education around the game and, and, and showcasing to people and parents that the game is fairly safe to play. So I think they're doing the right things there. Um, I think just it's the exposure, you know, and so more people see it, love it. Like I took my father-in-law who'd never seen rugby in his life to the, uh, back then it was instead of Vegas, it was the San Diego Sevens and he couldn't get enough. He just was like, hold on, you've got Kenya playing New Zealand. And then 14 minutes later, it's the USA playing Canada, all these kind of amazing fixtures from athletes around the world. The game is so diverse and it's what Americans love too. It's very physical, but it's also very fast. And I think sevens is the game that, that the U S will fall in love with 15s. Unfortunately, just takes a bit too long. And you also, you know, it, it is quite confusing for a first time viewer. Yeah, I guess. And you know, obviously with, with more structure, you've got to have more resources at your disposal as well. But it's such a very good point that you just made that I've totally forgotten about it. It's obviously COVID is maybe quite jaded towards sport in general, but like, where else do you see such diversity in nations competing in one sort of thing? And not only that, from a fan's perspective, you can see all these countries in one go currently on like a day or like two days in the sevens uh, event. Yeah, I think that is something that really, you know, attracted me to the sport was that it was such a global game. So coming from South Africa, all I needed as my passport was my were pair of rugby boots. And all of a sudden, I, I, I was accepted by 15 new friends. One of them gave me an old car to use. One gave me a job. One said sleep on my couch. So you get you get hooked up in the game of rugby. And I think that is the best sport 
a lot of Americans here that I speak to, I, I talk about the power of sport and I talk about how great rugby is. And I'm not trying to push everybody to play the sport, but I think the community is the most important part. You could just be a fan and somebody will look after you or, or at least buy you a drink at a bar and you talk about, uh, about uh, you know, life. And that I think is, is the best part about the sport. It's, uh, it's unlike American football, you know, even basketball and some of the other sports that are, that are played here in the U.S. Now, this is something that I often have like an internal debate around. It's like, what makes rugby so incredibly special? Like you just said, like, you know, someone lent you a car, you know, you, you, you got a new place, you can make friends pretty quickly. What is it from, from your experience in your travels that makes rugby so different? I mean, I, I don't think I'd have this conversation with someone who plays football. I don't think I'd have this conversation with people who obviously play the American sports you just mentioned. So, I mean, is it because the sport's quite hard? There's quite a lot of camaraderie through general struggle. I mean, like, like, what are the aspects that do make rugby such an amazing game like this in a community aspect? You know, that's, again, another another really good point. I think here in the U.S., the reason why people love it is because it's so different and so unique and so new. Mm. You get respect straight away when you walk in and, and you know, my wife introduced me to somebody and they were like, you play rugby. And straight away, they're, they're in awe of the sport. And, that's, and that is kind of cool to be part of that unique kind of club. But just touching on that community again, I think you know, the, the sport sets itself apart because of the values of the game as well. And I know we keep talking about it, particularly in broadcasting. It really is like that. After the game, you you do go have a drink or a meal with people from the other side. Like I remember growing up at Rondebosch Bishops was our big rival. They lived 400 meters away from us. And, you know, on the field, there was the arch enemy. But afterwards, we'd go out and have a great time. Some of my best friends are from, from the other schools we played against. That was the same at university and the same here playing rugby. I think the difference, and I thought about it before this call, the Sevens World Series, for example, you will see players staying at the same hotel, eating in this, the same meal room. And after a tournament, after they've bruised and battled and hit each other so hard, we'll all go out together. And that is the cool thing. I, you don't see that in, in many other sports and you don't see that respect for each other, even on the field as well. Yes, while you're looking to knock somebody as hard as you can, you will often see somebody lifting somebody up from the other side. And that I think is the true essence of the sport and it translates off the field as well. Yeah, it really is. And that's just something that always just draws me back, you know. And I think like globally, you, you see other offshoots of that, you know, with like rugby 10s popping up now. There's a lot more kind of social series around the world. And again, it's just such a great spirit. And I think it is. It's like, you know, often we forget about these things. Again, 2020, this is quite nice to actually discuss this with someone who is so passionate about it. But we do have all these commonalities within sport. And this is why it is so powerful. This is why we can never forget this. But so we need to get into, I think that, not that I'm saying your, your playing career wasn't as interesting, but after you obviously became an international rugby player for America, um, how, many, how many caps did you finish off with for, for the yes, Sevens team? Yeah, the Sevens. I played three years on the series. And just quickly yeah. back then, we were only allowed to play in a few tournaments. I started in 2007. We played three tournaments. And because we did really well in those three, now, now this is kind of cool going back. You look at the names we had, and obviously nobody knew the, the, the players back then, but we had Takuna Gwenya, who'd go on to round Brian Abanner at the Rugby World Cup and score one of the, arguably one of the greatest tries ever. Oh, really? Had, I, I, I didn't know that. So I'll, I'll bring it up with him next time I see him. Yes, there we go. Please do. I, I actually <laughs> made a joke about to that too, Brian, you know. So um, we had Todd Clever, obviously an American legend. We had Chris Wiles, who'd gone and play 10 sure. years at Premiership Rugby for the Saracens and a bunch of others. We even had Matt Hawkins from uh, Maritzburg College in South Africa. So the, the side was, was an excellent team. And uh, the next year we were invited to six tournaments. And then the following year, we became a full-time full time on the series. And so, you know, the, that group of players, had we had wonderful chemistry and 
fortunately given the opportunity again uh, brought america to the full-time position so for me i got a chance to play three years about just over 50 caps but it was just it was just amazing and, and a dream come true and i did not think i was going to play international rugby i always dreamt i would be playing it um and now of course to get a chance to to work still work in the sport i think is really special it really is, Dylan. But you know, it's something I, I do I do see I have a lot of admiration for because I know how difficult it is. I mean, obviously, the playing aside, aside, you know, I'm not getting into that. But your your ability to apply all of this into commentary, uh, everyone thinks that you can, if you know a sport, you can talk about a sport. It's not the case. It definitely isn't the case. And I think here in South Africa, we've seen that on Super Sport with a couple of crossovers, which I won't mention the names of. But how did how did you kind of get into that side of things? You know, how did you know that you could you could call a game the way you do, or something that you really wanted to pursue? Yeah. So I first started out. I worked as a media manager for the U.S. Eagles, and so I, I was you know, acutely aware of what the players needed, right, from being a former player. And also then I learned what the media side was like. And in one of those jobs, I was at the Rugby World Cup uh, in New Zealand in 2011. And I got a chance to sit into the broadcast booth and I saw, you know, the, these these legendary folks commentating. I was like, wow, that that looks fascinating. I didn't really... Obviously, I knew all the different roles that you could get in rugby, but I didn't know that that was an option for me personally. I'd coached rugby at a college level. I'd worked for a few, you know, rugby entities over time. And so... After I retired, I got a chance to to be a sideline commentator and then in the broadcast booth. And it was unbelievable experience because while I go back and if I had to listen to any of those initial games, because again, nobody teaches you, especially here in the US, there's no broadcasting school for rugby per se. And so you kind of wing it and you kind of learn on the spot. Um, obviously sounded, you know, uh, uh, not as enthusiastic back then. So over the years, I just, for me, I know that I can exude passion because I love the sport and I know I can make a game exciting. I do need to slow down my speech sometimes because I get too excited and speak too quickly. But I also feel like, Ben, listening to a lot of older commentary, I felt that they, they could have made it more exciting, whether or not they used a funny line or whether or not they you know, brought something a bit humorous in every now and again. And so that's kind of my element. I thought if I can bring passion and excitement and a bit of humor because life is fun after all and particularly when you're watching a sport uh, those two could merge nicely together so that's kind of where and, and what i've kind of um, focused on well it's nail on the head really because you think about how these sports have evolved you know back in the day i said billy beaumont who was that guy he he, he he applied his voice to John Lemmy Rugby on PlayStation. I know that was most of my matric year was playing that game. So I, I, I'd, I'd always remember those Bill voices. Bill, Bill, Bill McLaren sorry. was the, Bill yeah, McLaren. was the, you're right. Yes. Exactly. And he would say things like, oh, and he's working the blind side, like a pop-up toaster, or he's going there like a demented mole. And you're right. Yeah. He was the one I looked at going, wow. He's able to commentate such a stellar game, but also at certain moments, the descriptive nature of his commentary uh, was, was just, just, and you made you laugh, right? And that's kind of great. You need that. And, and Seven's provided that platform, right? Where you know there's going to be 100 or 200 tries in the weekend. So instead of just saying so-and-so scores a try, every now and again, just bring, bring something in that, that could potentially bring a smile to people's faces. Well, particularly in sevens, because, you know, if there's ever going to be a, a, a variant of the sport that's going to bring a new market in, you're going to kind of spearhead with the sevens. So you want to be engaging, you want to be entertaining because you're competing against so much. So you can't just go and he's running through the gap and he's given the dummy and he's going to score. You're not going to do anything for the person who's watching rugby for the first time. They're going to go, okay, well, this is kind of boring. 
Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. And I think that's where World Rugby has done a, a wonderful job. And even in the 15th game, the Rugby World Cup, they hired a few of us that have been on the Sevens World Series because they wanted to engage new markets, new audiences. You know, yeah. the the 20-something that's watching the rugby game, you know, if if the commentator comes across and they like kind of what they hear as well as the action combined together, that product is, is definitely what's going to sell the game. So I've had some conversations with Matt Pierce in the past, who is an absolute rugby anorak. I mean, he's amazing. He really is. But he takes commentary to like another level when it comes to preparation, the notes that he makes. And he really is like, he's an, he's an encyclopedia of a match before it kicks off. I think is the way I can best describe him for the people who don't know him that well. What is your sort of process when you go into a tournament? Because you're not just commenting on a test match for that weekend where there is... Uh, 44 players or 46 players that names you need to know you need to know a whole bunch so w- what is your process and how do you get into the south sea island names on top of that yeah well all good questions and and matt pierce is an absolute legend i got a chance to meet him at the world cup uh, last time and 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 like matt and and all, all the other commentators out there it's all about your preparation it's the same thing as you were playing right so when you were playing you had to focus on your fitness and your skill set and and your game analysis the 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 battle is one way before you know the game starts in all in all forms off the field too and so my preparation is generally because there's so many rugby games going on whether it's the sevens world series or an international test match or major league rugby i have i prepare for about a week for every single event and so that week is non-stop researching all the different players now you mentioned a test match that's actually easy because it's only you know less than 50 players you've got mm. a, a couple of officials you have the coaches you have the venue to prepare for as well so you need to look at historical moments and be at the venue the stadium the the country the two countries playing you know they they head to head rivalry so there's there's so many different facts so you talk about encyclopedia and so i have the encyclopedia of information before i only use about 30% or 40% of it but i have it all there in case the moment arises that you need it which is really important you need it to get it quickly as well the um the sevens world series though is an absolute nightmare from a preparation point of view and you can ask my wife i have sleepless nights because you not only nowadays have 16 men's teams you have 12 women's teams playing so you've got 28 sides that's 400 players and my my real stumbling block in terms of preparation is i really want to say everybody's names as best as i can and i didn't grow up speaking any other languages so you know the french teams playing that's tricky for me the spanish mm. side you know the, you, you the south sea island teams while they were the hardest for me to pronounce, I have a few good friends, you know, that are Fijian, Samoan, Tongan, that I send the team name to and I say, please record your voice saying these names. And then I phonetically write it out. So my team sheet name looks like three pages long for one name. That, that's because I write it out phonetically and I try to practice as much as possible. That is incredible because it's also there's quick interplay as well. And the game is so frenetic, you know, there's less pauses, less kind of things to compose yourself. So, I mean, everything you just said now, all I'm, all I'm doing is I'm picturing incredibly colorful notepads that go into the studio with you. Um, you know, is, is it something that like you and your fellow commentators kind of discuss and you can maybe just share some sort of like key learnings and little things that they've learned over time, or do you kind of stick to your own game and then whatever happens between you and your, and your co-host kind of happens? Yeah, I, you know, I really, I really enjoy the camaraderie and the chemistry between the broadcasters. And that is something special as well. You know, there's so many folks that, you know, let's say I was coaching at a high level, I might not share my coaching, you know, obviously my game plan with any other coaches. But, you know, in speaking to like Gary Gold, the US coach, you know, from South Africa, he was like, listen, 
I provide everybody with everything because they still have to execute on that. And I think that is kind of cool. So I've taken that into my commentary as well. So particularly, you know, where it's my area expertise would be the USA and South Africa. So since being on the Sevens World Series the last five years, I would help all the other commentators how to say the Afrikaans names, how to say, um, you know, some of the some of the background about the players, um, the USA as well. So I provide my notes information because the product needs to be as good as it can be. Likewise, they will help me out when it comes to, you know, the Fijian names or Carlton Honor will help me with the Kiwi ones. And so mm. you kind of share those resources because at the end of the day, if we all look good, the game looks great, that's then we've done our job. Yeah, completely. It makes perfect sense. And again, it's like, I think all of us who are passionate about sport, that's what we care about most. I mean, sure, we'll have opportunities that we can shine and do things that make us look good. But if we haven't got the, the, the sole product, then we're not working. So, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. You're um, on top of this again, because you seem to just ooze rugby in every single poll going. You have started uh, your own rugby podcast. And in that, um, I guess you can also, you know, broaden your sort of uh, horizons even further there. We're interviewing certain people and getting certain sort of insights. Was that the motivation behind starting the podcast? You know, that's so interesting you bring that up. It wasn't the motivation behind it, but in so finding out in all these interviews, I have learned a tremendous amount about, you know, various coaches, various players that I will be commentating on or about. And so you're right. It has given me an extra layer of information, which is so great. The initial idea came, came about for a few years now, some folks have been saying, I should do a podcast and, you know, there are various topics that, that potentially I could, could cover that could be interesting. And I thought to myself during, you know, lockdown, well, I'm not commenting any games, but I still would love to talk about the game. And so why not reach out to folks that I've met along the way, all legends on the field uh, or in the coaching realm. And Robin McDool, a friend from Canada who I played against in the Sevens World Series, randomly called me up and had a similar, similar thought. And so we teamed up early COVID days. And uh, yeah, the, the motto is, you know, every legend has a story and we're here to share it. And the Rugby Hive, our very first guest was the legend Brian Abana. And so, you know, so somebody like that who is so busy in the regular world, you know, had time for us during COVID, which is so great. And so from that, we've just interviewed, you know, legend upon legend. And it's really cool because you get to kind of go into these folks' stories. And, 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 and while people may know some of their highlights, they might not know some of the background information. Like Brian's story with he got given a jersey by, you know, uh, Francois Pinot and, um, uh, uh, you know, things like that really inspire folks. It is. And this is why I mean, I enjoy your podcast. I mean, the Gary Gold interview in particular, like Gary went to the same school as me. Obviously, we know from a South African perspective, his background, but obviously, you know, again, it's like, it's getting into the minds of rugby, rugby people. Like, you know, you're, you're one of those people. And I'm sure if I were to come to America, we would have five or six beers and we'd just run through varsity rugby for three hours. You know, this is, there are so many levels to this incredible game and the people who are doing great things in it are constantly pushing those boundaries all the time. So yeah, I mean, like podcasting is something I've always loved. And obviously when we started Match Kit, the very first idea I had was, wow, we're going to have an amazing uh, sort of database of people to chat to. And every single week I keep looking at this going, like I'm going to learn something or I never knew that about a certain sport. It, it's just one of the coolest mediums to kind of get this got done on. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and again, speaking about Match Kit, you guys have so many brilliant ambassadors. What I like about it, it just covers a gamut of sports, which is really cool. It's like, I'm so focused in the rugby world. It's so refreshing and so nice to hear different stories and different aspects and different views on, on life from all these other, other athletes. Yeah, and I just hope that all these athletes can come back and start playing and, and really realizing their, their true potential. Um, Dylan, there, there was one last thing I wanted to chat to you about uh, before I let you go. Um, 
the the sort of global game as far as people keep talking certain phrases in rugby you know it's like there's been a lot of um murmurs about south africa splitting from the sanzar and we've already seen some of those moves and we've already seen a couple of things going up north then you know there was some plans about sanzar becoming more global increasing getting the american market that kind of stuff there's been a lot of talk we're not entirely sure where all the action is going to come from from here from your perspective, it like it's difficult to say like what's the best option because obviously we want to globalize the game. We want to bring America more in. We want to get Japan more in the game. From your understanding of of what's possible, what do you reckon is the best kind of moves that can happen over the next five years? Well, yeah, that is a that's a a big topic. It's complicated because when you look at some of the top ten sides in the world it is more interesting for the viewer to watch a competitive game than it is to uplift some countries outside of the top 10. And so the reason why I say that is, for example, is while I personally would love America to play South Africa and play some of the top 10 in the world to improve their game, it might not be the spectacle that folks want to watch. So there's two balancing things here. You know, it's the world rugby has to balance the fact that, you know, folks want to see highly competitive matches. You still want to have your traditional tournaments. Now I know the Zanzar one is a tricky one. You still want to see South Africa play New Zealand, Australia, um, and countries like that getting Argentina involved too. You want to see the six nations, but you, you also at the same time on the other side, want to keep it fresh. You want to keep it exciting. That's why Japan joined, you know, super rugby. Um, so where will the game be in five years? That, that's a very good question. It's a complicated one that has, you know, a ton of ramifications. I don't know the answer to it, but what I will say is there needs to be a balancing act where you can still have the highly competitive fixtures on the top rated teams in the world, but you also have the emerging nations, you know, playing some of the high level teams to get that experience. Because again, they're not going to get better if they just play the local teams around them as well. So I know that didn't answer your question, but it's a, it is a very complicated one. And I know there are thousands of different plans that have been thrown around by world rugby and, you know, I, yeah, that's all I have for you, my friend. Yeah, I know. Look, as I said, there isn't really a perfect answer. It's yeah. just that there is so much potential. There's so much that can happen. Um, no one's really got an answer because no one's really fi- like joining the dots on this whole thing. Uh, okay, for, to put you on the spot with one thing, would you say in your background or just whoever you are as a rugby person in America now, it, South Africa joining the Northern Hemisphere teams and maybe getting into a Six Nations kind of thing, do you think that's better than where they are right now? So I would say I enjoy the fact that there is something new and exciting. And I think that's where super rugby kind of went off the boil a bit where there there were just too many teams, there were too many rounds. It was too convoluted and too confusing how things worked out. So with that point in mind, keeping something fresh and exciting, having South Africa join the six nations, I think it, it benefits a, the game in terms of South Africa, get a chance to play a different against a different style of opponent, which is great. The traditional games in the Southern Hemisphere, obviously, while they were very exciting as well, it's um, it's tricky because if you want to prepare for a Rugby World Cup, you need to be able to play against both styles. And I know that if you look at South Africa in particular, South Africa at the knockout stages have only been knocked out by Australia and New Zealand. So from that point of view, you would say, well, you should have them still play in the Southern Hemisphere competition. Um, but I would, I would still say something new, something fresh could be very exciting. And that's kind of why it's been cool to see some South African t- sides in the top 14, you know, to mix it up a bit. And again, if you look at the time zones, I would not be envious of any South African player that has to travel 
to New Zealand and Australia and play in those time zones and those competitions. While, of course, we love playing against those, those opponents, the time zone and travel makes more sense for the UK. Yeah, exactly. And, and nobody would know more about that than you. I mean, I think I went to the 2011 World Cup and I, I was having a couple of beers and watching some matches. I came home and I was shattered for about a week. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's tough, you know. And again, it's just about this mental strain on the guys as well. You know, we, we always forget that you know, rugby isn't just about blixeming a guy and running fast in certain directions. The preparation, the constantly picking yourself up and having to worry about all this kind of stuff, very, very draining. So, look, I, I'm, and, I'm very, I'm and very I happy wanna, yeah, I want to interrupt you there. You're spot on with that. I, I was chatting to Chris Wiles recently on, on one of our pods, and he said that too. He said, when you look at the Sevens World Series, you see the product. You see the players playing in front of 40,000 fans, and everybody's going wild, and, and it's really enjoyable and a, and a festival. You don't see the players having to pick their bodies up after you know six brutal games, travel across the world to the next venue, you know, prepare again and do the same thing and then travel another side. Like I remember we took 40 hours to get home from George, South Africa after one of the tournaments. It, it was, it was backbreaking and nobody obviously knows about, you know, those kind of things. You just see the, the highlights, if you will. It's almost mm. like Instagram. You see the highlights, but you don't see the work that goes behind it. <laughs> sure. I remember actually chatting to Brian about this a while ago, because obviously uh, when Brian Abana was towards the last couple of years of his, of his career, he went and spent some time with the Blitzbox. He was trying to get for the team, I think, for um, Olympic purposes. And, um, you know, when you play for the Springboks, it's business class travel. There's a couple of perks to it. He said that he traveled from, I think he was in France at the time. He went to meet with the team in Las Vegas. I think he, it was, it was like a 40 hour kind of thing. Cause you're yes. not flying, you're not flying the, the good, the good flights and there's layover times and you're sitting in a small chair and then, but he said like, it was amazing how, again, different backgrounds. He was shattered by the time he got there, but the guys were ready to go. Like they're just a different kind of work ethic with the sevens guys. You know, the, obviously the, the, there's a less, less airs and graces, perhaps just less perks. And the guys were just like, they just lap it up. They kept going. Yeah. And, and again, I think that's, that's mindset and that's your mental yeah. strength. And I think mental strength obviously, you know, um, uh, has become something that has been spoken about obviously in recent times, particularly, but it does teach you that for sure, that it doesn't matter what happened or the circumstances, you just need to switch on and focus for your next task in hand. You're right. For sure. Well, Dana, thank you so much for your time today. I'm going to let you go there. I would love to kind of have another chat with you once there's rugby on again. Um, you know, we didn't really talk COVID breaks and like new normals and all that kind of stuff. There is rugby coming back. You know, there's the Super Rugby Unlocked right now in SA. New Zealand and Australia, obviously, they're cracking you on. They've got test matches. There is no rugby championship from a South African perspective this year, but next year is the British and Irish Lions Tour, which I'm sure... Um, you're going to find a way of coming over to at least watch one test? Because, I mean, like, you, you must get homesick with that kind of stuff, right? Ben, absolutely. So the highlight for me was coming back to South Africa in recent years and actually commentating the Cape Town Sevens. Um, it was, you know, very full circle for me growing up there from Cape Town to come back and actually work in the sport that I love so much and, 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 and be in the broadcast booth. So coming back to the Lions, yes. In fact, I, I've actually linked up with a, a tour group, that, uh, uh, um, Dynamo Sports uh, Group, that are basically going to take folks outside of the UK and the EU. So a lot of my American friends, Canadian and folks around the world um, on the three uh, test match schedule. So I'll hopefully be joining them and, uh, and going around as a tour guide, if you will. And, um, you know, sinking a few jars and throwing a few one-liners. That's amazing. Well done. I'm sure there's no better person to do it with matchkit.co forward slash the rugby corner is where you can find basically everything what who Dallin is. Um, the podcast goes out. 
uh, the social media channels are all there and he's got a merch line as well. So rugby corner, the rugby corner, sorry, matchgood.co forward slash rugby corner. That is where you'll find more of Dylan. Then thanks so much for joining us today. Ben, thanks so much for having me on a match kit and look forward to that cold one when I see you next. Damn right. Thanks so much. Are you an athlete looking to better commercialize your career? Visit matchkit.co forward slash register and see what this unique web builder can do for your sporting profile.